Well, this is the last message in the series about vulnerability, and let me just speak real personally with you. Here's the truth about you, truth about me. Uh, We want to feel safe and loved and respected and admired and accepted all the time with everyone everywhere we go. That's the truth. That's the truth about you. That's the truth about me. That's the truth about every person you'll ever meet. But there's another truth that we are less comfortable with, and that's this, that in this present world, we are more or less always in danger. And that's the tension we live in. We want to be able to be vulnerable. I mean, you know and I know that the the most blessed experiences that we have in life is when we can be with those people um, that we know they know we're not perfect and yet we're safe with them we're loved by them we're admired by them and we can be transparent we we can be our best and worst selves and know that we're safe it's the best most wonderful experience in life we want that with everyone everywhere all the time but you and I both know in this present world that's not always possible and that creates this tension society aches for vulnerability to be able to be vulnerable and to still be respected, admired, loved, accepted, and just to be physically, mentally, emotionally safe. So that's where we want to end this series, this, this ache, this existential ache that society has, that everyone has. I'm going to give you something today that, that I hope you'll tuck away. Every human being that you will ever meet in your life, I don't care how, how accomplished they may be, I don't care how intimidating they may be, count on this. When you look into their eyes, you are looking at a human being who aches just as deeply as you do to be accepted, to be loved, to feel safe, and they don't always feel that way, no matter what kind of a facade they may put on, because they know, and we know deep inside, this is a dangerous world, and we are more or less always in danger. And so I hope that this message will help us learn how to live with this present tension while we look forward to a new world that's coming and a new world that I don't think is far away for any of us. So let's try to start by just recognizing what I'm calling this ache, this societal ache for vulnerability because it's not real crystal clear. It it doesn't show itself in uh, easily apparent ways a lot of times. Now I'm gonna start by reading a portion of scripture. This is gonna take us into the future. You know, we hear a lot of talk these days about time travel. Well, scripture Scripture allows us to time travel. And the portion I'm going to read you today, it it literally was written about 700 years before Christ came. But it's talking about a period of time that's yet to come. It's after Christ returns, establishes his kingdom on earth, and that kingdom is established for a thousand years. It's about the millennial reign of Christ. You can read about that, if you've never heard of that term before, in Revelation chapter 20. But Isaiah saw this. He, he kind of time-traveled by this vision a guy gave him, and he saw this, this world that will be. So let me start by reading in Isaiah 11. Excuse me, Isaiah 2. It says, In the last days, the, mountains, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above all the hills, and all nations will stream into it. Many peoples will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It, it, yeah, it's this beautiful picture and it's a certainty of a world that is yet to come when Christ returns after the tribulation, establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. It's a world where everyone can be vulnerable and safe and that's the world we want. We, we want to be able to be who we are. We want to have our vulnerabilities, but we want to be safe simultaneously. And it's God's promise that that world will come. Now, I want to start by urging us to, to kind of consider this. When we're looking for symptoms of this, this kind of ache, this societal ache for vulnerability, you got to look in places that are not real obvious. Number one, let's, let's look at some of the things that we just do as human beings. Every one of us in here has locks on our windows, on our doors. Um, most of us in here have insurance policies most of us in here know that um, we need to at times have police readily and available we may have to call them we know that we need we live in a world where you need militaries all these things are reminders that we we ache for a safe world where we can be vulnerable and yet simultaneously safe but we it also shows that we know we're in more or less danger all the time and that's why you have to have locks on your doors and you have to have locks on your windows and you have to have uh, police and militaries and insurance policies and all these kinds of things so this this ache this this existential ache this dread uh, it shows itself in these kinds of things so let me start with that recognizing the ache if I could go to the next slide the dread of existential abnormality and I'll let this story a minute leave it up there just for a second the word existential all I'm talking about here is this existential has the idea of what is really the existence around us what's real what do we have to function with and how do we experience life because of what we exist in I'm not talking about existential philosophy or anything like that but it, but it's it's the reality that we have to function in the dread of existential abnormality now here's the way this shows itself I'm just get personal for a second how many of you have ever had a season in your life where you just were perhaps alone maybe you were sitting on the side of the bed man and you just kind of shook your head or you were in your car and you threw both hands on the steering wheel or you were alone somewhere and just looked up into the sky and you shook your head and you thought to yourself it just shouldn't have to be this hard life should not have to be this hard something is just wrong something's wrong in the world why the endless river of crimes and hatred and prejudice and brutality and assaults and murders and wars something is just wrong why the endless conflict why are people always arguing always fighting why does it have to be so hard something something is just wrong in the world how many have ever had uh, that kind of experience in your life yeah, nearly every human has and that's what I mean by this, this dread of existential abnormality. We know somehow on a, on a core spiritual level, even those that are not awakened to Christ yet, we know that there is something wrong. There's something abnormal. Things are not going 
the way they are supposed to be. Life is not supposed to be this hard. Life is not supposed to be this dangerous. It should be safe. We ought to be able to be vulnerable and be loved and safe and secure, but we know that we're not. And so this creates this tension. Listen to the way Job described it way back in the Old Testament, some 1,900 years uh, before Christ even. He said, The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. This is the... The plight of humanity. There's always been this ache, this, this dread. Why are things so difficult? And so this manifests itself to us as an as a, as a ache in our spirit, in our soul, and frankly, it's a healthy sign. When we feel this discomfort, it rises from our spirits. It shows that we're sensitized to a reality of a different kind of a life that we were meant to have. And so that creates this next thing. It creates the desire for existential normality. We, we still want a world. We want an existence that we don't have, but we somehow sense it's possible. We can use our imaginations, for example, and we can picture everybody being honest and everybody being kind and everybody being respectful and gentle and accepting. We can picture a world where no one is violent, where you can send your child out to play and never have to worry at all. We can picture that in our imaginations, but on a deeper level, we sense, we sense that that's the kind of existence that was and that is meant to be. Let, let's go back to a portion of scripture way back in the book of Genesis it says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame when you go all the way back to mankind's origination we were face to face with God in a perfect environment in perfect relationships with one another Adam and Eve were and the idea of them naked and not ashamed is that they were completely transparent as well as physically naked and there was nothing to harm them. They were utterly vulnerable to be naked. Let's be honest. It is to be completely vulnerable, whether you're being naked emotionally or, or financially or, or in any way you want. But they were physically naked as a symbol of complete transparency. But they were safe. And, and that's the world we still want. We know that's the way it should be. That's what's normal. And yet we know that that's extremely hard to come by. There, there may be, you know, a collection of people in our lives, maybe family, maybe dear friends that we can be that safe with, but we always know there, there's some inherent danger to totally be transparent to nearly anyone. There's another portion of Scripture that looks at this from a, nor, a more universal standpoint, and it's a very powerful portion of Scripture. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writing to Christ's followers in Rome, he said, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. To this day, we're aware of the universal, notice this, the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, it's talking about those that have returned to God by putting trust in Christ and becoming His followers. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. And I'm sure some of us in here, we, we've had those experiences where we just ache for the Spirit of God to finish His work in us and so that we will love the exact way that Christ loves and that we'll think the way that Christ thinks and we'll feel the way that He feels and we respond to things the way He does and that these habits that we hate and that we struggle with will altogether be gone and that our bodies and our minds and our spirits and our emotions and will will all be fused together with a, the Christ-likeness that we desire. 
But we don't have that yet. That waits for the return of Christ and the resurrection and the transformation of our bodies. So we live in this tension where we want to be able to be vulnerable and feel safe and feel loved. But we know the truth is we're always in more or less danger. So how do we cope with that? And, and the thing about pain is pain sneaks up on us at times where we least expect it. And that's what makes it so difficult. I remember years and years ago when this church first started, we were back at Ballinger Creek Elementary School, and it was back in the days when uh, <laughs> we were small enough that everybody that came through, I would stand at the door at the end of the service, and I would shake their hands. You know, in small churches, that's the thing you did. So I'd stand there, and I'd shake everybody's hands until it became a bottleneck, and then we stopped it. But I can remember this one elderly lady, and every time I would see her coming, um, I would just cringe. I'm going to be frank with you. I, don't, don't feel uncomfortable she's not here now <laughs> okay but uh when i'd see her coming i knew what was going to happen this elderly lady would shake my hand and when she shook my hand i don't know how to explain it to you other than to say she didn't have any padding on her hand I, I never had the courage to look at her hand because it was either mechanical or she was a nephilim or but there was something wrong it was it was like pure bone it felt like steel and this dear old lady would grab my my hand and she had like a vice-like grip and i kid you not i mean i'm not exaggerating this it really really hurt and so something that should be a warm enjoyable experience you know somebody shaking your hand or you know patting you on the shoulder this this old lady would grab a hold of my hand and i'm telling you she would just about bring me to my knees so so pain in this life can hit us at just the strangest times and we never know when to expect it and that makes it difficult because we want to be able to be vulnerable and feel safe e even things like I say like like our our ability to feel to sense we can feel the warmth of somebody's touch you know when they pat us on the arm or they give us a hug but we can also feel extreme pain when our skin for example is punctured by something it said about Adam and Eve it said they they were naked and not ashamed that's the kind of relationships we crave you probably have a few where you can be almost mentally emotionally naked you can just be completely yourself with some folks and feel utterly safe we we yearn for such a world as that now some of you some of you perhaps have had dreams where in the dream you're in a group of people and suddenly you realize you're naked now this is this is a dream now now how many would admit you you have had that kind of a dream before can i see your hands yeah i'm so glad thank you so that i'm not the only one no there, there were a few others that are. now we know that probably 90 percent of you have had the dream but you're like no way i'm putting my hand up for that one <laughs> i have these dreams occasionally and here's the wild thing about them i don't know what your version of it is but okay i'm like in a crowd of people talking and all of a sudden I realized, oh shoot, I, I somehow must have forgotten my clothes. But I'm talking with the people, nobody even cares. They don't seem to even notice it. And so I just kind of keep talking and looking them in the eyes and, and hoping that everything's going to be okay. Now I have no idea what it means. <laughs> some of you that are psychologists thinking, poor Randy, we need to get this guy some help and, on, on some meds or something. But, but I think it's again symptomatic of this deep spiritual desire we have to just be safe to, to, to just be known and to still be utterly safe and yet we know that that's a difficult thing to come by so vulnerability society aches for it we each ache for it 
and yet we find it hard to find. Now, there was an interesting thing that happened in New York City back in 2012. There was a, a performance art display put on in the, uh, the Modern Art Museum in New York City. And this lady, her name is Marina Abramovich. Now, by the way, somebody after the first service, very alarmed, came to me about this lady. Anytime I use some person as an illustration, it doesn't mean I want you to follow them, okay? Or to, I'm not advocating for them. I'm using them as an illustration in a particular way. So anyway, this performance actress, Marina Abramovich, now everybody wants to look her up on Google. I shouldn't have said anything. But uh, she was, for 90 days at the Modern Art Museum in New York City for 90 days doing this performance art display where she would just sit at a table and people would come in and they would sit on the other side of the table and they would just stare in her eyes and she would just stare into their eyes. And this would go on for at least about 10 minutes. 850,000 people did this. Uh, I'm not sure why, but they did. Here's an actual picture. There's Miss Abramovich and there's one of the fellows that did this now here's the interesting thing powerful things happen now mind you two people are just staring at each other in silence but most of the people found themselves bursting into tears uh, Miss Abramovich said this and I found this to be a really interesting comment she noted that as people became quiet notice that part as they became quiet and still she could sense the deep lonely pain that many people secretly carried I gazed into the eyes of many people who were carrying so much pain inside that I could immediately see and feel it I became a mirror for them of their own emotions somebody else commented that we're so distracted today we always have headsets on or we're so busy and distracted that rarely are we all there and even less common is or is it when we're all there and we're just looking into the eyes of another person quiet uh, it's not an easy thing to do but it, it evoked tremendous emotion in fact uh, Mrs. Bramovich she talked about a particular case uh, a hell's angel came there she said he was all tatted up and clearly a hell's angel and she said for the first 10 minutes he just sat there and gave her you know like this stern evil eye and then all at once this guy just shattered and just cried like a baby it shows that inside even the toughest human beings there's this longing for connection this longing to be safe to feel secure to feel loved to feel okay to feel to, be, to feel permitted not to be perfect and to still be safe and yet it's a hard thing for us to come by. And those that we can come by with it, we, we should cherish it for sure. So the dread of existential abnormality and the desire for existential normality is something that comes to the surface in us periodically. But, but how do we respond? Particularly we that have put our trust in Christ. We're reconnected to our creator now. We know who we are. We know why we're here. We know what the purpose of life is. We know how we're meant to live. We know what the future is for us. But how do we cope with the present uncomfortable conditions where we want the perfect, but we know that the perfect is not yet present? So how do we respond to this ache now? And it calls for patience, patience in the existential present things are not perfect now things always have in, an element of danger like I said you wouldn't lock your doors or lock your windows if you didn't know there was some danger now we don't live paranoid but we do have to live with awareness so how do we cope with it there's a portion of scripture in the New Testament 2 Corinthians the Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ in Corinth and he says this he says that's why we never give up 
Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are, notice what he calls them, they're what? Small, and they won't last very long. And that might be God's whole message to somebody in here today. You are going through perhaps a problem, a trouble right now, and you don't use the word small. It feels big, and it might be very big. But God wants you to understand that what seems big now in light of eternity and he wants to always stretch us to see ourselves as beings that are timeless and when we look at ourselves from that perspective what seems big now turns out to be small it says for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long this whole life is not very long yet they produce now here's the good side they produce they produce a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever for a little while versus forever so God is saying that the the hardships the difficulties the troubles the the lack of that acceptance and peace that we don't experience here to the degree that we'd like to he says that that's actually working something in our behalf that's going to last advantageous it's going to be advantageous for eternity it goes on it says so because of this we don't look at the troubles we can see now now obviously you see the troubles and we have to focus on them as they occur but he's trying to give a a mental philosophy here he's saying don't don't get fixated on the troubles because they're small even though they seem big and they're short even though they may seem like they're long now he says we don't look at the troubles we don't fixate on them that we can see now rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen for the things that we see now will soon be gone But the things we cannot see will last forever. This is a hard thing for us to do, to live live in this eternal perspective. Because we just can't see the things. And the pain seems so real. And it seems like it's going to have such great lasting repercussions. It's hard for us to do this. There was was a French Impressionist painter. uh, I have a picture of him here. uh, Auguste Renoir. 19th century French Impressionist painter. And... Toward the end of his life, he developed tremendous arthritis to the point that each pain, each stroke that he would paint sometimes would, would cause him to shriek in pain. And one of his students asked him, he said, you know, why, why do you continue to paint when you are in such extraordinary pain? And here's what he said. He said, the pain passes, but the beauty remains when I saw that quote I thought that's exactly what the apostle Paul is trying to get across in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 through 18 he's saying yeah we we have these troubles here but they're kind of small really in light of eternity and they don't last very long in light of eternity but what they are bringing is something so beautiful the character that they are forming in us the Christ-like development that they can catalyze and the eternal repercussions that they're going to bring the, the eternal benefits so outweigh the struggles now that it's worth the pain now because of the beauty that will remain I just thought that was a really good connection now, now we have trouble though because we can't we can't see the other side yet we can't see the eternal in, in the book of Revelation it kind of sums everything up and it gives us five uh, or four different no mores here's John the apostle and he's seeing the, the eternal future this is even past the millennium where Isaiah started us this morning he said then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He, notice, he, God himself personally, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be, now here's the four no mores, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's why we're afraid of vulnerability. We are afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of being hurt mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, physically. There will be no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. God's telling us you've got to take this to the bank. Just curious, how many of you uh, with your paycheck, you, you get direct deposit? Can I see the hands? <clears throat> All right. How many of you, I'm going to get in your business now, get a little personal. <laughs> how many of you have any kind of retirement plan, like a 401k or something like that? Can, can I see your hands? Okay, how many of you will give that to me? No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> People's talking about seed. I, you know, give me the seed. No, don't give me the seed. All right, so here's the thing. Now, you know and I know that your 401K, it's just little, little figures on a digital screen. Likewise, when they do that direct deposit check, it's just kind of, you know, digitized right into your account. But when you work, when you go to work, you work every week as though it's a certainty that that check is going to be there. You're, you're going to make purchases. You're, you're going to use your credit card and make purchases based on the money that's going to be sent to your account, direct deposit, that you're going to be able to pay with. You've you got to get this. You count on a certainty that you cannot see. That's what God wants to try to help us to learn how to do, to cultivate a kind of a trust in him so that we count the eternal as certain, that we see it before we see it. And it will enable us to live vulnerable, Christ-like, loving lives in spite of the fact that we are more or less always in some danger. Let me give you one more example. Let, let's just take that you were, you were a missionary and you felt called to some Stone Age tribe. You know, somewhere, there are still in the world today, there are some Stone Age tribes where literally there's no even flight paths that go across where they're at. So they've probably never even seen an airplane. They are untouched by civilization. They don't know what electricity is or any of the things that we're so used to. So let's say as a missionary, you go to them, and so now you break the language code, you've lived with them for some time, and you're communicating with them, you're trying to share Christ and all these kinds of things, but you start to tell them about the world that you come from. And so you're telling them about something called electricity that you flip a switch and lights come on. And you tell them about a microwave. You know, I have this box that I put food in and it gets cooked instantly. And you're, you're trying to, and I get on this, this machine, this thing, it's like a bird and it flies me back and forth. And you're trying to tell them these things. They've never seen these things. Try to stretch your imagination and, and feel the difficulty they would have in believing you because they have nothing to compare it to. They, they have no experience. They've never seen an airplane. They've never flipped a light switch. They've never seen a microwave do its magic. So you and I say, well, oh my goodness, these things are easy to believe in because we were more or less born and raised with them. But there were generations, most human beings that ever lived on the earth, they looked like strange magic. They never even had electricity. Uh, 
So the things that God talks to us about in his word, these eternal pictures of a world where there's no sickness, sorrow, pain, or death, where people can be vulnerable and safe and loved forever, where there's joy beyond what we can experience in this life, where the sufferings, the most difficult sufferings and hardships of this life look laughable in light of stepping into that dimensional reality. Maybe, maybe these little illustrations of what our life would look like to a stone age culture can help to kind of catalyze and stretch your own imagination so that your imagination can fuse with your trust and so that the eternal truths the eternal promises of God's word can fortify us for this time in which to be vulnerable is still the ideal to vulnerably live in love the way that Christ lived in love with full knowledge that sometimes if not all the time it causes you to be in some danger and that's not an easy thing to do let me close with a quote from a guy that I I love this particular quote I've used it kind of a number of times through the years his name is Peter Kreeft he's kind of a Christian apologist he, he works in the realm of showing that there's powerful evidences for the trust in God's word and the trust in Christ that we have but Kreeft he says this he says suppose you suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into the future and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have for free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desires. Pause for a minute. Here's what I know about you because you're an American and you grew up in a high-tech culture like I did. It is extremely rare that you or I get alone allow our spirits to rise up in us and probe the depths of our heart and ask ourselves what are my heart's desires if someone were to ask you what is your heart's desires you if you're typical would have a hard time articulating that but if you look deeply enough it will always lead you to God you will find in your heart's desires are this if you had the ability to heal every sickness on the planet with the blink of an eye, you would do it. If you had the ability to feed every hungry belly, you would do it. If you had the ability to comfort every broken heart, everybody that's ever been wounded, everybody that's ever been betrayed, everybody that's ever felt the sting of rejection, you would heal it. When you look into the depths of your heart, you will find in your heart an image of a world that God alone can bring, that God alone created, and that you are meant for. No human being can ever be satisfied until we enter into that realm. That realm is there, but you've got to let the desires of your heart kind of rise to the surface sometimes to understand that only Christ can bring those desires. So in closing, as we close this series on vulnerability, I hope that it stretched your heart. I, I hope it will make you bold to seek God and to give yourselves in loving relationships to other people in, in a bolder way than you ever had. I hope that eternity will fixate closer to the front of your perspective so that you'll view your daily life more regularly through the lens of eternity because it will change your value system, my value system. It'll change your reactions, my reactions, and it'll give a better version of you and I to the world that desperately, desperately needs it. And if you're here and you've never... You've never secured what Peter Kreeft is talking about. In fact, let me, let me go on. I don't think I even finished that quote. I think I got lost in it. You could have free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desires, heaven, eternal joy, 
would you not return, meaning after you've seen heaven, the other dimension, and come back, would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny, less a scratch on a penny. That, that's the way God wants us to live. It's in the bank. It's a certainty. Christ's resurrection assures it. And that will give us the boldness to live vulnerably in a world where you're more or less always in some danger. If you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ, this is a grand opportunity to do what I did when I was 23 years old. Everybody's following somebody. Every one of us in this room are following somebody. We might be just following ourselves. That's who I followed my first 23 years. Or following some other human. But why not follow the one that created the universe with a word and the one that has proven he loves you personally, individually, with such love that he went to the cross to demonstrate his passionate affection and love for you, his devotion for you. That's what won my trust back at age 23. And if it's won your trust, why not make it official today? Say, let the rest of the world follow whoever it wants. As for me, from this day forward, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and follow him. That, folks, is what it means to become a Christian. That is what it means to be born again. That is what it means to have new life. And that is what it means to be reconciled to God, Christ our Creator. If you've never done that, I hope before you leave here today, you'll make that decision. And all heaven will rejoice because of that decision. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you'll give us that eternal perspective that will allow us to live this life with great boldness and great vulnerability for the sake of your great love that it might go forth to the lives of many, many other people. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.